an unexpected story out of the so-called hot labor summer. Strippers united will never be divided. Binge all four episodes of Imperfect Paradise Strippers Union wherever you get your podcasts. Studios. Hi, I'm Victoria Alejandro, producer on the LAist studio show How to LA. For the past few weeks, I've been working on a series that's a love letter to vintage and independent cinemas here in Los Angeles. I've been exploring how these movie theaters are staying afloat, their histories, and what they mean to their neighborhoods and communities. Here's the first episode where I take you to a midnight movie at the New Art Theater in West LA. From LA Studios, this is How to LA, the show that helps you discover all aspects of Los Angeles. Yesterday, we introduced you to our new series, Revival House, our love letter to the vintage and independent movie theaters around the city. Over the next 10 weeks, we'll be taking you around LA to visit some of these spots, the Vista, Vidiots, Braindead Studios, and we'll talk to the people who make the movie magic happen. Today, we officially begin the tour with a trip to the West Side and the Newark Theater, the OG home of Art House Cinema in LA. The building itself has been around a long time, but this year it celebrates its 50th anniversary owned by the Landmark Theaters. The Newark was the first theater Landmark ever bought, and they've been programming it with small, offbeat, independent, and art house films ever since. The Newark, and really all these theaters, has a special place in the heart of How to LA producer Victoria Alejandro. She'll be our guide in this series. So, take a listen. There is really only one place to start. Let's go catch a midnight movie at the Newark. They're known for their midnight screenings of cult movies and things like that, but the Newark for the past almost 40 years has been synonymous with Rocky Horror. It's only because, you know, it's such a weird movie. Like Pink Flamingo's in there and Eraserhead because that also premiered as a midnight show. We just wanted to get together and thank all of the people that have supported Eraserhead uh, through the years and particularly thank the New Art Theater for its support. The New Art was one of the first theaters to ever show Eraserhead. The New Art made its reputation with a late-night film, screening movies that were deemed a little too wild or risque or just plain quirky for mainstream audiences. I mean, you heard the tape. Films by John Waters, David Lynch, the Rocky Horror Picture Show starring a, quote, sweet transvestite, end quote. Throughout this episode, we'll explore that history, and also its present, with movie theater historian Ross Melnick, Landmark Theater's president Kevin Holloway, and longtime film programmer at the New Art, Mark Vallon, not to mention the cast members of Rocky Horror. That's all coming up right after this break. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, 
plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Growing up, I was one of those kids who couldn't go to sleepovers or concerts or movies with friends that started too late. So after I graduated high school, yes, high school, and my friends invited me to go see Rocky Horror Picture Show in Los Angeles at midnight at the historic Newark Theater, I thought, no way. But my parents said yes. And in LA, a bunch of weirdo baby queer theater kids just like me drew on my face with lipstick and welcomed me into the bonkers world of midnight movies. I had to stop at a CVS on the way home to grab makeup wipes and wipe my face off before my dad let me back in at 4am, a totally changed little art house cinema freak. This is not an uncommon story. So I get taken to the Rocky Horror Picture Show for the first time. I think it's like my junior year of high school. My senior friends find out I've never seen it and they drag me out one night. And I just kind of never stop going. This is Austin Fresh, the cast lead of Sins of the Flesh, the Rocky Horror shadow cast at the New Art. I'll explain the shadow cast part in a bit, but Sins is a group that's been performing during the midnight movie since the 80s, and they continue to perform every Saturday night. My dad grew up like mainly in Mar Vista, so when he found out that I had started doing Rocky Horror at the New Art, he went, it's still there? Because my dad came and saw Rocky Horror at the New Art, and it was so funny. He was so cute. He was trying to give me like a couple bar recommendations that no longer exist. The relationship between this cast and the New Art is actually really important. Shadow casting is a huge tradition around the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Actors come out in full makeup and costume to perform live in front of the film while it's being screened. I said, hey, are you ready? How do you call the trouble upstairs? You're ready? there's a major audience interaction element. Call and responses, dancing and singing while the film is being played. Audience members bring props. It's a tradition that goes back to the film's release. The movie flopped in 1975, but quickly developed a cult following, and midnight screenings launched the following year. Most shadow casts don't get a lot of support from their theaters or guarantees of a permanent home, but Sins and the New Art are intertwined. And believe it or not, the midnight screenings of Rocky Horror sell out the house almost every weekend. And that relationship means the New Art has grown into a safe community space for moviegoers and performers alike. Here's Austin again. You know, it was the first place I used they-them pronouns. It was the first place I started dressing more masculine. It was the first place I started, like, binding my chest down and things like that. It was always, I always got to test and play and not be afraid to be whatever I needed to be that Saturday night. This is Nina Minnelli. The new art for the past almost 40 years has been synonymous with Rocky Horror. 
Yes, she's related to that Minnelli, and she's been with Sins of the Flesh since 2007. She says the new art and Rocky Horror are practically synonymous, but her relationship with the theater goes beyond that. I would come to the new art the next night for more Rocky Horror, because I was a weirdo, and, um, and then just come to the new art for all of their other screenings because they I've discovered movies I've rediscovered movies through the new art and uh, so really the new art and the history of the new art since probably about the 60s is the defining theater of cult movies the new art built its rep on the avant-garde but its history goes back even further they have a history that's not consistent. They have a history that's related to the changes in the neighborhood, the changes in the city, the changes in movie going, and then they just have histories related to the people who ran them. This is film professor and theater historian Ross Melnick. We're going to be hearing from him throughout this series. The New Art opened with a lot of fanfare in 1930. That's before the 405 opened. Silent stars Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford were there, and other major stars at the time like Clara Bow and Lon Chaney regularly attended film premieres at the New York. The 30s were a difficult time for many folks coming out of the Depression, but the theater survived by programming double features and hosting games. In 1939, as we're coming out of the worst parts of the Depression and about to head into a war footing, um, there was a, a beautiful remodel of the theater. That's when you get that three-cornered marquee that you have now um, and that incredible sunburst terrazzo that's on the, on the, on the entrance. That marquee Ross is talking about illuminates Santa Monica Boulevard and Sautel. Neon pink dominates, spelling out new art with art deco pops of blue and yellow. A terrazzo right under the marquee has a sunburst kissing the sidewalk, the rays of light leading audiences into the theater. Post-war, in the 40s, the theater changed hands and began showing more international cinema, which reflected the emerging trends of the times. The Santa Monica City College, as well as UCLA, had college students who wanted to see films uh, that were coming from these new Latin American filmmakers. It also began to screen um, Japanese films because it was part of this informal network of cinemas in places like Gardena and Torrance and Little Tokyo that had movie theaters that were playing for the local Japanese American audiences that were there. In 1974, the theater changed hands yet again and became a rep house, screening older and second-run films and building its reputation as an art house destination. Later that year, one final sale meant the new art became the flagship location for what would become landmark theaters. And that's also what put what was then called Parallax Theater Systems on the map. And Parallax is the original name for landmark. With landmark's acquisition, the new art became the theater that we recognize today. We're just excited to be at year 50 and to be able to give our audience more of what we've been doing from the past 50 years and trying to endure for hopefully another 50. This is Landmark Theater's president, Kevin Holloway. This year, 2024, Landmark is celebrating its 50th anniversary. When I asked how they'll be celebrating, Kevin says... A lot of what we're also focusing on is unique content that will spread across 2024 and is really focused on core years uh, in cinema and honoring some of when Landmark first got started in 1974. When Landmark first took over the theater in 74, they got the uh, LA first run engagement of... Pink Flamingos, but it was a midnight show. Midnight's only because, you know, it's such a weird movie. That's former New Art programmer Mark Vallon. And his choice of weird is a bit of an understatement. Pink Flamingos is a John Waters movie, so you already know that means subversive, queer, and hilarious. 
In Pink Flamingo's, famed drag queen Divine has just been named the filthiest person alive. And some nasty rivals try to come for her title. You can eat shit for all I care, Miss Sandstone, or eat anything that you like, or do anything that you like. Just don't assume that I want to know your troubles. For my personality, my niche was really more for the indie movie spirit. Mark Vallon retired last year after 50 years of working in the movie theater business. He says film has been in his blood since he was a kid. When I was eight years old, um, I'm going to age myself here, but uh, a school friend, it was his birthday, and his mom took a group of us kids to see Mary Poppins at the Grauman's Chinese Theater. And up to this point, I... um, Going to the movies was just something you do with your family. I didn't really seek it out. But going into this magnificent movie theater and seeing this movie literally transformed my life overnight. Um, And I started then reading my parents' copy of the LA Times, like in the calendar section, like to see what movies are playing, read reviews. And instead of Little League, I was dropped off of the double features. So when he got the call to work at the New Art... It's like, of course. He started as an usher at the New Art in 1974, right before Landmark bought it. He was an assistant manager, a projectionist, and later a programmer. And so, of course, Mark was present for that major moment in movie history, the West Coast premiere of John Waters' Pink Flamingos. Filth are my politics. Filth is my life. Landmark needed something special to mark the occasion when they took over in 74. He managed to um, get New Line Cinema to, to give us the, the L.A. premiere of, of uh, Pink Flamingos, which had already been playing for a year in New York. It's a nice mean, show, but still hadn't really opened on the West Coast. I was so impressed with the film that um, I, a friend of mine knew where Divine lived at the time, which was in Venice, near the beach, and... Um, so I just one day, one afternoon, went and knocked on the door. And somebody behind the door said, uh, who is it? And I said, I'm Mark Vallon from, I work at the New Art Theater as the system manager. And um, we're going to be premiering your movie Pink Flamingos in a couple of weeks. And I, I actually just wanted to stop in and say hello. So the door opens and there's Divine just wearing like a, like a caftan, short bleach cropped hair not made up or anything and oh okay hi um she said would you like to come in for a cup of tea could you give us some of your political beliefs kill everyone now condone first degree murder advocate cannibalism eat shit on the night of the premiere i was in the box office and sure enough divine shows up um on the back of a motorcycle and a trash truck also shows up and parks in front of the theater which i was kind of curious what's going on. And suddenly the back opened and these uh, this drag artist team called the Cycle Sluts, they were all dressed in leather biker gear and, and made made up with their wigs and stuff. And uh, they came tramping out and, and, you know, did a little dance in front of the theater and then went inside. It was amazing. <laughs> Hello, I'm John Waters. And I'd like to take a moment to personally thank each and every patron of the New Art Theater for supporting my film Pink Flamingos and enabling it to run for eight consecutive years and turning Divine into the filth goddess she deserves to be. Not only have you enabled me to continue making films, you've paid my rent and bought me endless cartons of mmm, cool cigarettes. So once again, I thank you deep from the bottom of my black little heart. 
The success of Pink Flamingos in 1974 established the new arts reputation. This was a place you could come for edgier, more eclectic programming. Home of the Midnight Movie. And then Eraserhead, which was, again, another big breakthrough film. We just wanted to get together and thank all of the people that have supported Eraserhead uh, through the years, and particularly thank the New Art Theater. So the New Art became an important house for breaking new filmmakers. When I was programming it all these years, I always kept that in mind. It's a good launching ground. I mean, I played Christopher Nolan's first film with the New Art, gave it its first L.A. run, um, Darren Aronofsky. I mean, like countless filmmakers who were just, you know, out of school and making their first feature and then went on to, you know, the big time. Mark saw the New Art become a destination for films people just couldn't get anywhere else. In 1999, an indie horror hit out of the Sundance Film Festival broke records at the New Art. This is my home, which I am leaving the comforts of for the weekend to explore the Blair Witch. The Blair Witch Project became their biggest hit. And it's all because of me that we're here now. Hungry and cold and hunted. And I remember driving by the theater at noon on that Friday, and there was a huge line down the street waiting to buy tickets. And uh, it ended up selling out every night at the New Art and every other theater that we played it. It broke all house records. And I remember a couple came up to me and they said, is this just one movie theater house? I said, yeah. And I realized, wow, they're bringing in people from like the suburbs in Orange County who are used to only going to multiplexes. So I was kind of glad to have, you know, introduce a new audience to the new art. That's the legacy of the new art that Landmark is hoping to celebrate in their 50th year. The new art is home to these iconic movie-going moments. Every few years, something major that really connects with audiences. And to this day, the theater is providing a space for moviegoers to discover stuff in a packed house full of other folks. And that might also include dancing or screaming. I'd say, again, our core uh, focus, even though it has evolved, has really just been being those community locations for moviegoers and kind of being a mainstay within those um, areas that we've been operating for the past 50 years. Or, as Ross Melnick puts it, I just trust it because it's the new art, and they just know that that's what Landmark is going to program there because it's always been this hallmark of art house cinema. Keep your eye on the New Art calendar this year. There are two special film series coming up to celebrate moviegoers with great picks from the New Hollywood era and from 1999. And yes, that means you'll be able to catch The Blair Witch Project in the historic New Art. Thanks for going to the movies with us. Next week on Revival House, we'll be heading to the New Beverly Cinema in Fairfax. I know so many people that have met their husband, wife, partner here. I think you get something emotionally, and even though you might not know the 200 people you're sitting with, you just had a collective experience. Stay tuned. That is it for us today. Thanks to Ross Melnick, Mark Ballin, Kevin Holloway, Austin Fresh, and Nina Manelli for helping us discover the Newark Theater. How to LA will be back on Monday with more election prep and our newsroom's guide, The Voter Game Plan. This episode was produced by Victoria Alejandro. The rest of the How to LA team is Monica Bushman, Evan Jacoby, Megan Botel, and Erica Washington. 
Engineering support on this series provided by Hasmik Pagosian. Our executive producer is Megan Larson, and I'm Brian De Los Santos. Bye. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes LA a better place to live. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Hey, it's Brian, the host of How to LA, a podcast that is a love letter to Los Angeles. Independent movie theaters are having a glow-up moment. Vidiots and Eagle Rock, amazing. We have our friends at the American Cinematheque. The Vista just reopened. In our new series, Revival House, we'll take you inside these spots and share their history. Because movie history is L.A. history. Listen to Revival House on How to LA wherever you listen to podcasts.